Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Life, a constant state of gray decisions. Do you ever wonder how to just put it all together? What is God's will for me right now? Does my faith even affect my everyday life? These are gray, yet pivotal questions. This is not good versus evil, light versus the darkness. These small, yet big choices are what we call life. So, how do you find discernment in it all? Proverbs chapter 12 it's a very short, pithy staying, verse 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. May God add his wisdom to this passage. Well, I'd like to tell you that I have been successful so far in my career of always eliciting pity from people when they ask me about my college football team. You know, I've had pastorates in Alabama and Florida and now in South Carolina. And uh, in, while I was in Florida, they always said, you a gator? Are you a Seminole? In Alabama, they'd say, are you a Big Al? Or are you a War Eagle Tiger? And here they say, are you a Gamecock? Or are you a tiger, a Clemson tiger? And, I, and this always elicits great pity, and I am so pleased. that my answer is, well, you see, my favorite team is the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. <laughs> and they either say it or they think it. Bless your heart. <laughs> or they're saying or thinking, we got to pray for this boy. And so I've been successful. You see, because if you're a tiger and you get cut, what do you bleed? Not red, orange. Right? Or maybe even a little purple in there because I think that's one of the colors too. If you're a gamecock and you're cut and you bleed, what do you bleed? Not blood red, but garnet. Right? And black sometimes. I mean, black is the color too. And it doesn't matter whether you run into a person who's uh, very, you know, just in a very simple restaurant as a server or a CEO of a multinational corporation. Man, I tell you, you ask them about whether they're a tiger or a gamecock, they don't have any problem telling you. It's very obvious. Keep that in mind now 
as we seek God's wisdom for labor, for work. Who is the source of this whole thing? It's God. You see, theologians call it, and you know, you may have heard this said before, and so now you can drop this in your theological conversations, and people will go, whoa. You can say, you know, work is a creation ordinance. That's the phrase, creation ordinance. You drop that one, and they're going to go, Because it means just like marriage, it was from the very beginning. Work wasn't added as a curse to our lives. Work was a blessing. It was a reflection of God's person. It was how God chose to employ his creators, his creations, his crown of the creation. Who were they? Adam and Eve. If you turn to Genesis 1.28, you may want to keep your finger there in Proverbs, because we're going to go back there in just a minute. Proverbs, I mean, excuse me, Genesis 1.28, God says through Moses, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Adam and Eve were placed in the earth as God's viceroys. Now you think, what's a viceroy? Remember in your Western civilization when England or Britain, Great Britain had influence over India, they had a viceroy in India. And the viceroy spoke with the voice of the king. Even though he was not the king, he spoke with the voice of the king. Adam and Eve were placed on earth to be God's viceroys, to reflect his sovereignty over all of the universe in the microcosm of this place we call planet Earth. What a divine calling! Remarkable! And he further defines it in Genesis 2.15 where he tells Adam and Eve, you are to work the garden and guard it. Work comes from God. Vocation is the calling of God to reflect His sovereignty in every aspect of life. And that includes work. It includes your calling, whatever that may be. The unfortunate thing is Adam and Eve's sin made that problematic. We know from Genesis 3 that God cursed the earth because of their sin. And he said, from the earth you will toil. You will only receive enough to eat by your labor and your toil. And so work, although still a creation ordinance, had become toilsome and laborious. But it was still reflecting God's sovereignty. 
And God is redeeming work right now and has been ever since that day in the garden. He is redeeming vocations. And that's why the title, Wisdom, colon, Vocation, Reformation. Vocation simply means calling. God calls. We respond. So if God calls us to work in his kingdom, what's the goal? What's the goal of our toil and labor? It is that we reflect him in every way. It is that his name is hallowed because of the way we work. Have you ever thought about that? The way I work, wherever I work, in whatever job I find myself, that that reflects on God? Yes, indeed, beloved. Yes, indeed. If you claim to be a great Christian and you're lazy, people see it. And they make deductions from it. The source of our work is God. The goal is God and His glory. And our attitude should be one of diligent rule. The best we can be at whatever we are called to be. All vocations, according to the Scripture, are holy vocations. Now, Except, what would you think? Vocations that are prohibited in Scripture. Now, I knew a guy one time in a former church who embezzled funds. He had to work hard at it, man. And I, and I went to his trial. And he was convicted. He worked hard at embezzling. I mean, but that was not a legal profession. <laughs> he worked hard at it. But it wasn't a calling from God, was it? No. I even heard one time of a lady who said, you know, God has called me to be a stripper. <laughs> and I thought, well, honey, it, I don't think it was God who called you to do that. It was somebody else. You see, there are vocations with, which, which require tremendous amounts of work that are illegal <laughs> and certainly don't reflect very well on God. But it doesn't matter what your calling is as long as it's a holy calling. Our attitude should be one of diligence for the Lord. Ultimately, we work for Him. I'll tell you a story about a man I came to know some time ago. Uh, when I came to know him, he was, had already been through two very long careers. He was beyond the age of retirement. And he was, at this point, employed in some of the most important work that has ever been done and which he had ever done. 
The first career that he had that spanned quite a long period, he had come to through inheritance. He had inherited a position in the largest, one of the largest corporations in the world. But he had a problem. He thought a little too highly of himself. And one day, he got mad at an employee and made sure he didn't have to get mad at him again. He murdered him. Yeah. And then they accused him of murder and he fled to another country hoping that the authorities would not be able to extradite him or find him or extradite him. He took up a job, a very menial job, because he didn't want anybody to know who he was, and so he herded livestock. And I tell you, there were days and weeks and months in this man's life that he thought, you know, I am really a little overqualified for this work. He was very depressed. He wondered what in the world God was doing with, me, with him. And he thought he was a failure. He thought he was a failure. But he wasn't. God was preparing him to become a nation builder. Who am I talking about? Moses. Moses. Forty years in the backwoods of Midian taking care of sheep. Can you imagine that? Egyptians detested shepherds. It was a detestable job. And I'm sure there were days that he was just strung out on depression. But God was teaching him servanthood and humility. So much so that he became known as the humblest man in the world. And a nation builder. Listen. As the scriptures bring us the wisdom about work and our attitude at work. Second Timothy 2 verses 3 through 7, Paul instructs Timothy, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Beloved, who is your commanding officer at work? And you may say, I don't want to get that guy. Mm-hmm. That gal just drives me crazy. The reality, brothers and sisters, is that there is an employer with a capital E who commands it all. Way above the one who calls you, calls you employee or calls himself employer. Many of them don't know that. 
and they certainly wouldn't agree to it. But the Bible tells us that it's true. Now, the principles of employment are scattered throughout the Scriptures. I want to bring to your attention just two passages in which these principles are laid out. Now, in the ancient world, the stratification of what we would call business or work was much, much different from what it is today. Now, there were people like Paul who were tradesmen who had a trade and plied their trade, and there were others who were had, in some sense, they were um, somewhat middle class, and then there were those who were the ruling class, and then most people fell into the category of slave, either because they were acquired in battle and made slaves, or because they had to sell themselves into slavery because of debt. Listen to these principles, and I have changed the names slightly. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Employees, obey your earthly employers with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like employees of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever he or she does, whether he or she is employer or employee. And employers... Treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their employer, capital E, is also yours and is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Our big E employer is not a favoritism person. Listen as Paul addresses Titus at the church in Cyprus. This was what Titus was supposed to teach. Teach employees to be subject to their employers in everything. To try to please them. This is Titus 2, verses 9 through 10. Not to talk back to them. And not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Please notice what Paul says. Because there is a fallacy among Christians today that somehow we're expected to make our job place, our workplace, a launching pad for evangelism. That's not what the Scriptures say here. Now, we may have opportunity, you and I, in our workplace, among our work associates, both employer and employee, to share about our faith and why we are who we are. But that's not the primary work. What does Paul say? You obey and you work well so that you bring honor upon the faith. 
and that the employer may say to you one day, I just don't get it. How come you work so hard for me? Can you tell me? Yes, I can tell you all about my Lord Jesus and why I work the way I work. Beloved, we are called to honor God in every aspect of our work. He is our employer. Now back to the illustration at the beginning of the sermon. Now if you're a gamecock, what do you bleed when you're cut? Garnet. If you're a Clemson Tiger, what do you bleed when you're cut? Orange. Now you know what what I have found out in the almost sixteen years that I've been here about gamecocks and tigers? Is that it doesn't matter whether that gamecock is a server at a real low nothing no nothing restaurant or whether that gamecock or tiger is a CEO of a large company. It doesn't matter. They're all game. I mean, when you ask them about their football team, yeah, I'll tell you about my football team or my basketball team or whatever. It doesn't matter what work they're doing. They're constantly thinking about being a tiger or a gamecock. Beloved, take that principle into your work where you say, it doesn't matter what I do, I do it for God. If I'm cut in my business, I bleed God. I bleed His sovereignty, His rule through whatever I do. You see, work is God's idea. And He can make it a joy no matter what that work is. As long as you and I can go home from our places of business and say to God, Lord, I tried to be the best employer I could be by your scriptures, by the wisdom I have received. And I've tried, or I've tried to be the best employee. And beloved, I want to give you some things to read about and maybe you may one day want to go there. It's a doctrinal thing, but it really helped me. There's a thing called the Westminster Confession, which is one of the confessions in our book of confessions. And in that confession, they also have catechisms, one larger, one smaller. And when you look at them, you'll understand why. One's a lot larger and one's a lot smaller. But basically, they look at all the aspects of the Christian life. And I want to draw your attention to the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days on the earth may be long. Go to the larger catechism and let it speak to you of the wisdom of Scripture about honoring mother and father, honoring employer and employee. It has a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of wisdom. But where does it come from? It comes straight from here. I'm not talking about the seven habits of a successful person. 
I'm not talking about how to manage your employees better. I'm talking about going to God's Word for the principles of living the life of reflecting God's sovereign rule over all things. That's our vocation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your calling to us. The places of our business or the places of our employment or for some of us in our retirement where we are working perhaps as a volunteer or for those of us who are here who are just on the cusp of a hoped-for career. Help us by your word to apply your wisdom and diligence so that you may rule and that you may be known as the great employer. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. My name is Keith Gross, and I am Executive Director of Neighborhood Focus. Neighborhood Focus is a free, faith-based, out-of-school time program for under-resourced children and students here in Greenville. Uh, we accomplish our mission through uh, academic support and spiritual enrichment and life skills development for children ages K-5 through 12th grade. Our goal is to provide a foundation for future success. Neighborhood Focus offers the opportunity to get involved in real simple ways. You can come on a Friday night club, you can come spend your time during the school year and the after school program, also during the summer camps. Neighborhood Focus is a difference maker. They're a difference maker in the lives of young people. Well, I've been here since the program started and what I love about it is we have an opportunity to pour ourselves into the kids and put God's word in it. Out of all the years I've been doing this, it's just been a blessing to be able to just see the kids grow, see the counselors grow, and just the fellowship and the friendships they build over the years that I've been here. I see the continuity and I also see the community. You have children who are sharing the good news of Christ and they're sharing it amongst themselves and, and they're learning how to verbalize that and, and ways to do that to take it into their Christian walk and take it back hopefully to their community. While the kids would tell you that they love any opportunity they have to get wet and get the counselors wet, they have a great time. I would just always remember the love of the kids and how they're so much fun and they're so joyous and to watch them rush in and give us huge hugs. I made a lot of friends. We did a lot. We learned a lot, of, a lot more about God than I didn't know about. I've learned new things about God, and uh, we've went to many field trips. We've had fun all summer. I like coming here because I can have fun for their games, and I can go to field trips and have new friends. My daughter, she's nine years old. She told me that this is one of the best decisions you have ever made. The Neighborhood Focus After School Program uh, requires significant volunteer support to execute properly. The three areas that we have a primary need for volunteers include help with our uh, food program, including picking up meals and distributing meals to the children in the early afternoon. Secondly, uh, help with monitoring homework and assistance with one-on-one -on -one tutoring. And lastly, we're always in need of individuals that enjoy coming out and spending time in recreation with the children. 
The most important goal for Neighborhood Focus is to take our kids on a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. It's because of the generosity of partners like First Presbyterian Church that we're able to do what we do. If you'd like to join us in our effort to make a difference to this next generation, please let us know. We'd enjoy the opportunity to have you join our team.